Welcome to the Stronger Family, Stronger Church podcast. As usual, I'm Marcel Hall with my wife, Karina. And uh, we have this podcast because we believe if we have stronger families, you will have a stronger church. And so in the Stronger Family, Stronger Church podcast, we aim to equip parents of all ages with tips and resources to grow godly families. Today's topic is titled, After Baptism, Now What? And so if you have a child who has been baptized, what do you do now? If your child has not been baptized yet, this will help prepare you. And so we are so excited to have some guests with us that we're going to talk with. Dave and Deb Eskew, a great couple with a great family who we love so, so much and used to be here in Orange County. But we'll go ahead and allow them to introduce themselves. So Dave and Deb, can you guys uh, please introduce yourselves? You bet. Thanks, Marcel. Just love you and Korea and the kids so much. It's so great to be together this way again. But uh, as Marcel said, we are Dave and Deb Eskew. And uh, we were married, gosh, about 31 some odd years ago in 1991, um, just after graduation from college. We both became disciples as freshmen in college in 1988 as part of the Chicago church. And then shortly after that, moved out to LA and then Orange County for about 25 years or so. Deb's going to share a little bit about our girls and our family. So we have two adult daughters. Our oldest daughter is 26 and she's been married for two years. Our youngest is 25 and has been married for two months. So both girls were baptized between the summer of eighth grade and ninth grade. And then after college, um, both girls ended up marrying great disciples here in the Nova Church, uh, Northern Virginia. Haley and she's in the biomedical field and her and her husband lead the Young Professionals Ministry. Sydney is a middle school math teacher and is a teen leader here. Fantastic. So it's just such a blessing to be around our adult children again. Um, Haley went off from high school there in Orange County to uh, campus ministry at Georgia Tech. And I know the Halls don't want to hear it, but her younger daughter, Sydney, then went up the road to UCLA um, and enjoyed the campus ministry there. But uh, just so, so grateful um, to have these two great daughters and now two great sons as well. Uh, as Deb mentioned, we live in Northern Virginia, a little town called Leesburg, about an hour west of D.C., um, Deb works as a project manager for a podcast, and uh, I'm in IT. I've uh, been doing project management work there for a couple of decades or so. But again, just super excited to be with Marcel and Karina. Love what they're doing here, and hopefully we'll be able to share some things today. It'll be helpful, maybe some mistakes we've made along the way, but just grateful to be with you all. Thank you, Dave and Deb. We really appreciate you being here. We know uh, that we have a lot to glean from you and your experience. So thank you. And yes, we uh, do try to forget that Sydney <laughs> went over to UCLA. <laughs> but here we are. Here we are, still friends. Uh, so That's right. I wanted to start off, you know, there's a lot of talk uh, and training about parenting, but it's typically parenting um, your child before they become Christians or how to help them become Christians and not as much after your child makes the decision to get baptized and become a Christian. Is there a difference in parenting before or and after your kid gets baptized? And if so, what are some of those key differences? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And absolutely, there definitely are differences, you know, pre and post baptism, if you will. And I would say that it also depends a little bit, maybe on the age at which they get baptized. Our girls were just barely 13 or 14. And so they were just heading into high school. And so we still had a long runway with them in the home and a lot of time with them as teenagers. You know, that would be different, I think, maybe if they were seniors and were 18 or getting ready to head out of the house. But definitely after baptism, I would say that our expectations, we'll maybe talk more about this in a minute, but our expectations, I think, definitely can and should change, right, When our, after our kids are baptized. But we also still need to remember they are still teenagers and maybe young teenagers at that. And so I think all of us, right, as disciples in our 30s, 40s, and 50s, we know we still make a ton of mistakes and, you know, we're all a work in progress and need God's grace a tremendous amount even more so, right, for a 13 or 14-year-old, even if they have the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and so I do think it's that balance of figuring out there is an appropriate level of expectation that should be different, right, now that they're a baptized disciple, but still recognizing they're still growing up, figuring out life, hormones are raging, life is tough in high school, as we know, um, and I would also say that hopefully, right, as our kids become disciples and are baptized, that they've been living as a disciple or learning to live as a disciple in that process, right? So it's not like on Monday, they're not a disciple and on Tuesday, they're baptized and Wednesday, they're a completely different person, right? Like it's it's a just a, a specter, right? It's a transition that they go through. The one thing I would say, maybe more than ever, is that your example, our example as parents after they're baptized is more important than ever, right? I think our example as parents is maybe the most important thing at any time in our parenting. But now that they're a disciple and they've been taught what self-denial looks like, they've been taught what evangelism looks like, they've been taught about the cross, they've been taught about the importance of a relationship with God. If they don't see that in mom and dad, Again, not perfection, right? But if they don't see that consistently, mom and dad, that creates just a huge disconnect, right? And and they wrestle with that because they still look at so much for their example. And I think the other thing is realizing, okay, they do have the spirit now and their insight into the family dynamics are really important. Like to be able to ask them what they see, what impacts them, like things that they see in the family that could help. And I know like our kids, I would ask them all the time, like, okay, how did, do you think I was talking to dad? Okay. <laughs> With my tone or my, you know, and the kids were very honest and they're like, I think that was pretty disrespectful, you know, things you don't necessarily want to hear. But I do think the other thing is realizing that the teen ministry can't be the ones that are addressing the issues. Like you can't just expect somebody else to parent your child now that they're a disciple, that they've got someone mentoring or discipling them. They aren't the be all end all, that it is still a family dynamic and that we do need to expect humility and repentance from our kids. And so what are some of the mistakes that, some of us as parents make after our kids get baptized? It's a great question. And I think, you know, we can just share from our own lives, right? I think it's like Ecclesiastes, right? Like avoiding the extremes, right? So on one side, there's the, the temptation, I think, to think, okay, we had this long journey, they've been baptized, and now they're going to be a perfect disciple. They're going to have a two-hour quiet time every morning. They're going to clean their room. They're going to evangelize every day. 
They're never going to talk back. They're going to get perfect grades. They're going to baptize all the neighbor kids. Like, you know, just that's ridiculous, right? But like, we have this heightened expectation, like too much. I think on the flip side, though, we can maybe go the other way and have too low of expectations and, and not expect continued repentance, not expect to see a walk with God and a different dynamic within the home. And so it's probably us as parents recognizing, okay, which do I tend to, right? Most of us have a bent one way or the other, right? We're maybe a little overcritical or maybe we're a little bit too lenient and recognizing that that's probably going to play out to post-baptism. I know for me, I was on the front end, right? I expected, I don't want to say it like perfection, but I think that was my kind of type A micromanaging dynamic as a parent. And so I needed to realize she's still 14 years old. She's still figuring out life and to just have a ton of grace and a ton of mercy in that process. I think the other thing I would say it's not a common mistake to avoid, but just something that's so important is partnering with the team ministry. And as Deb mentioned, we, we don't want to rely on the team ministry or the team leader or the mentors or whatever, but to partner well with them. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but really seeing that it's so much of a team and, and taking in a good way, you know, taking advantage of that. Thank you. And so, and maybe you've already answered it right now. So what are some things that we can do to avoid these type of mistakes? I think this is where inviting people into our lives is so important, right? And so we tried to cultivate a relationship with the girls' mentors and with the teen leaders where we tried as hard as we could to be an open book and to ask, hey, what do you see in our kids when we're not around? What do you see in our family dynamic? We, we had the privilege of having Haley's mentor and teen leader live with us actually for a period of time when she was transitioning from college into being married. And so she saw everything, good, bad, and ugly. And I remember, you know, we would have kind of informal feedback times where she would share things with us, but we also sat down at least once very formally and she brought her notebook and she had this list of things right, that she had experienced in the home. And that she shared with us. And, you know, it it was tough, right? I mean, here's a 23-year-old, just out of college girl, not married yet, definitely no kids, telling me things that I need to grow in as a parent. But she was absolutely 100% spot on. And so I was so grateful that I kind of had that, that insight. And so I think inviting people, whether it's the teen mentor, the teen leader, other adults in your life, hopefully we're creating this village. And so people see you and your kids interacting and just being as best we can, because I know it's hard, but as best we can, just an open book and allowing and inviting people in. Because I know for me, I've got blind spots. There's things I'm just efficient in and I don't always see it. Uh, but having other sets of eyes can really, I think, prevent some of those mistakes. <clears throat> And I do think having a lot of grace and mercy makes such a difference. Just knowing that this is going to ebb and flow. It's it. You're going to have great times. You're going to have bummer times. But I do think allowing the kids to go deeper by us helping them to figure out, okay, what's a good book? What's something I could read? How do like, how do I journal? How do I, and just spending those additional times teaching and then even just asking them, to teach you things and just say, Hey, when you have read something, what have you learned? 
teach me. And so not thinking we have to know everything also, and just knowing that these expectations like go across the board that we're all always learning. Thank you. You mentioned expectations earlier, what are some reasonable expectations for yourself as a parent, but also for your teen and as a whole for your family when a child gets baptized? I love that. That's a great question, right? And again, just I've got a little bit of a list here of things I thought of as I was thinking about this question, but maybe overall that I will say maybe what Deb said a minute ago, right? Grace and mercy cover over all of it, right? No family's perfect, no parent's perfect, no teen is perfect. And so there are things that we, I think, should aspire to. I think there's things we should try to get towards, but to never become discouraged when it doesn't happen that day or it doesn't happen that week or have a, a tough season, maybe, right? Um, and so the things I thought of, right? I mean, some of them sound very, like, of course, Dave sort of things, right? But daily quiet times, right? A daily walk with God, not only for the team, but obviously for everyone in the home, but figuring out a way in our teen schedules to make that happen. Some of them may be at school at 630. Is it reasonable for them to get up at five to have a quiet time? Maybe not. Our older daughter did. Our younger daughter with health and other reasons, she just couldn't. So she made sure she spent time with God later in the day. Having great conversations as a family over meals, in the car, but really, you know, turning off the phones, turning off the radio, turning off the TV, turning off all the devices, and just having a, an atmosphere where there's just constant talking, constant conversation, praying together, obviously, with the kids every day. Um, all of us as a family, right? We're, we're at midweek. We're at Friday night activities, right? We're at Sunday church, right? I mean, obviously, there's going to be times sick or on vacation, perhaps, but that we are devoted as a family, as teenagers, when the body meets together, we're there. Um, doing everything we could do to have weekly family devotionals, right? And if you can figure out a way to do it more than that, that's great. But we, we try to do that every Monday night. And sometimes they were long and glorious and wonderful. And other times they had three tests the next day. And it was, we sang a song and read a verse and joked around a bit and had a prayer and then got right back to what they were doing. But it was a it was a habit. It was a routine. It was just an expectation that we had. Um, having daughters, um, I tried to go on dates with them at least, you know, about every week, maybe every other week, depending on how busy life was. Maybe it's just go out to get an ice cream or a bite to eat or take the dog for a long walk in the park, but just a little daddy daughter time. And of course, you know, the different dynamics would play out there with, with other families. Um, expecting and facilitating, I'd say weekly if possible, time with their mentors. Um, I, I just can't tell you how grateful Deb and I are for the, the women that invested in our daughters, um, the time that they spent and, and, and trying to make that easy for them, right? Trying to make the schedule as open as possible. And then maybe lastly, and I'm probably sharing too much here, figuring out a way as a family to be evangelistic. Maybe it's having other families from school into the home, neighbors, you know, a family from the soccer team, hosting the pizza party after the game, doing whatever you can do kind of in the busyness and framework of your life to be hospitable and to do that as a family and to have your kids see that, that is a part of what you do. And I think another thing is expecting communication. This is so hard because when a teen gets, you get in the car after school and you're like, how was your day? Fine. 
they don't want to talk. You know what I mean? And so then you get some that are chatty and some that don't want to talk. And so I think being able to realize that we need to expect them to be able to communicate. And part of that expectation could be saying, I'm not ready to talk right now. Can we talk later? I need to, I need some downtime. I'm not in a great place. Like, but that's communication in and of itself and not just shutting people down and not having any communication. And so being able to figure out when, and kind of like when you're married, you figure out, okay, I used to bring things up with Dave right before bed. He's like, this is not a good time. This this isn't a good time. And so he had to train me. This isn't a good time. So sometimes our kids will be great when they get on their way home from school. And sometimes they're like, this isn't a good time for me. I need some downtime. So being able to expect communication is huge, but they also may need to be trained. And sometimes it's us because we're aggressive and we're like, we'd start doing the 20 questions. Well, what do you mean you had a bad day? Why'd you have a bad day? What, what, what was it? And, and we can't stop. And so being able to have that, have them be able to expect us to learn how to listen to them. And when they say they're not ready, they're not ready. But sometimes it's, we're the problem. Yeah. And so obviously there's a tricky balance and this is why I'm so grateful for this conversation because the expectation that you guys are referring one about communication, but also even what you said, Dave, about expecting quiet time, not only for ourselves, but for them. Part of the challenge, right? And especially for some of our parents, okay, they're supposed to do it on their own. They're baptized now. They should have their own desire, but yet I know I still need to help. So maybe you can maybe put expand a little bit more on that, on how to have that healthy expectation or to communicate expectations in the right way. Yeah, you bet. I've got maybe just a quick thought. And then Deb, right, as always, has better answers than me. I would say, right, every kid is different. Like our older one, I don't remember what year it was, but she came back from youth camp and she just decided she was going to have a quiet time every day. And, you know, 15 years later, she's still rolling. So with her, there wasn't a whole lot of accountability or expectations or follow-up, you know, or anything like that. It was more ministering to her heart to make sure it wasn't done out of legalism, that it wasn't done with kind of a pharisaical spirit that she was just falling in love with God more and more all the time. The younger one, again, partly because of her health challenges and all the time it took to manage that, but partly just how she was wired, it was a little tougher. And I think we recognized pretty quickly that, you know, Sydney waking up at five in the morning to spend time with God just that wasn't going to happen. But maybe what we could do is have a good talk over breakfast on the way out the door, pray with her on the way to school, or later on when they were older, Haley and Sydney would pray together, perhaps on the way to school. And then just trying to carve out time in her schedule later on in the afternoon to say, hey, honey, before you you know, go on YouTube or before you relax and watch a little bit of TV, have you spent some time with God? You know, and just and and, and not every day, maybe, right? And sometimes it might be me, sometimes it might be Deb, sometimes it might be, hey, honey, I'm taking, I I slept in today, I'm going to take a late afternoon prayer walk, do you want to come with me? You know, or maybe mom's having a late afternoon cup of coffee and reading, and Sydney would plop down next to her and they'd read together. So just trying to figure out based on each kid's personality, kind of their bent, their schedule, what works, what, and then obviously what doesn't. So Deb, what else would you add? I probably butchered that. I'll tell you this. When they don't have one, they feel guilty. 
And so then sometimes the guilt then prevents them from wanting to do it because now I already feel bad that I didn't do it and it's an arm. And so I think there's these vicious cycles that they can get into because then when you ask them and they're already feeling guilty, now they're accused. Now I'm defensive. Now, why are you always on my case about this? And so it, it takes the time to be able to figure out, okay, how we need to study our kids enough to know, does asking them questions frustrate them, irritate them, whatever, versus saying, hey, I'm reading this. Would you like to read with me? I, you may have already read today. Did you already? Because I'm happy to help either way. And also then being able to ask them, hey, I care about your life spiritually. And it doesn't seem like it's coming easy for you right now. Is there something I could do that would help? Is Am I doing something that hurts and is preventing you? You know, have I made your schedule? Because sometimes I think Satan's greatest tool is making us too busy. And so the kids feel like, I don't have time. I don't, I don't have time. And if they don't have time to have time with God, then they're too busy. And so being able to figure those things out, but I do think it just takes a lot of studying our kids to know what's going to work for them and being able to help them come up with a plan because their heart is to want to want it, but they can't get there. And so I don't know if you guys have done that, whether it be going to the gym or something else, it's like, I want to want it, but I don't. So like helping them to get there. And I would say maybe too, just something I thought of and this is an easy trap to fall into, and I'm sure I did many times. It's like, it's less about, hey, have you had your quiet time today? And more as a parent, taking a short, medium, and long-range view to help my child to really continue to fall in love with God. Because that's the point of our quiet times is to get to know God, fall in love with him, and yes, learn what he has in store for my life and the rights and the wrongs and the do's and the don'ts. But it's really just spending time with someone I love. And kids are different right? Like Haley loved to go to the beach. That was kind of her special thing with God. Sydney, not so much. Haley would love to journal. Sydney, that wasn't her thing, right? Some kids are going to connect to God through music. Some kids are going to connect to God through watching videos in the Bible Project or the Bama podcast if they're a little bit older. Right? So figuring out what it is and make it less about, have you had your quiet time today? And more about, as a family, we just love God and we figure out different ways to spend time with him. Really good stuff. You mentioned partnering with uh, the mentors in their lives and having a village. How did you handle working with the teen ministry, the mentors and the teen leaders to help your children grow in Christ? Yeah, that's a great question. And Again, you know, as I mentioned, I'm so just eternally grateful for all the people, you guys included, who've invested in our children over the years. And I think it's some simple things, right? I think expressing gratitude. So you've got folks that are volunteering to spend time with your kid. And yes, you may have some that are in the full-time ministry, but they are still spending time with your child, right? And so just always, always, always communicating gratitude. And we tried to feed feed them and have them over, just make them, try to make them part of our life. So it wasn't just like, okay, I'm dropping my kid off with you for 90 minutes and I'll come get them in a minute after I go to Costco and come back. But it's like trying to be partner. I guess maybe that would be the word. It's a, it's a partnership. It's not an outsourcing 
arrangement, but it's a partnership that you have with the teen mentors, with the teen leaders, making their jobs, if you will, as easy as possible. Um, not hovering, right? I mean, that was one of my, you know, I'm like, okay, what about this? Or what about that? And I just needed to take a huge step back, right? And trust, you know what? God's going to figure that out. And if there's something that I'm seeing that I feel like I should be great if the mentor could speak to that, God's going to sort that out. I don't need to send a text every three minutes asking them, hey, can you bring this up? You know, that sort of thing. And then I think what we mentioned earlier, asking for input, making sure that even if it's a volunteer campus student mentoring your son or daughter, that he or she feels like, you know what, I can tell Dave that he needs to back off and he's being too type A and he's stressing his kids out. Like that's okay. And hearing that and owning that. And just again, maybe partnership is an overused word, but like that's in my mind, like how ideally, hopefully it went most of the time. And I think one huge thing is not criticizing the teen ministry in front of your children. The more we talk negatively, that we may see something that we need to address with our spouse or with the leader. Do not criticize the teen ministry. Like, I don't know why they're having this activity. I don't know why they're going over. Like, that does not help the teen. And they are not mature enough to understand that you may be venting. Your criticizing really does impact them in a negative way. And I think that goes through with the church. And why does the church have the Friday night activity or the third? I'd rather do, you know, the things that go through our mind work them out in other areas, not in front of your teen. And I do think the other thing is giving the teen ministry the benefit of the doubt. Like they didn't intentionally do something to hurt your kid that, or they forgot your kid or they left like that. It is never an intentional thing that someone's trying to hurt you or to make you feel bad. Like give the ministry the benefit of the doubt have the conversations, work it out, get resolved. Don't allow bitterness to grow inside your heart because of something that happened. Get resolved. Even if it's an uncomfortable conversation, in the long run, it helps your kid. Now, that's good stuff. And I'm glad we're able to practice that now with you guys having brewing ties and all that stuff that <laughs> we don't, we're, we're assuming the best. Let it go, man. Let it go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So let me ask you this. Can you share how you guys handle the times when one of your baptized children struggled spiritually? All right. So I'll go because they're girls. And so I ended up dealing with it a little bit more, I think, than Dave. Um, so one of our girls has a really hard time um, emotionally and stresses out and gets anxious. And so it is like that keeps that can keep them from feeling close to God because he's not like it, it. it's not meeting their needs emotionally. And so being able to realize that I can't, I don't need to overreact. Like our kids are going to have ups and downs. And if we, when they start struggling, we go into full press. Oh my gosh, we got to like, they will react to our strong reaction. And so, it, and we can push them even further away, like being able to realize that when they struggle, it is part of life. Like that is how they will learn and fight. Now, if they're in a real bad place 
And uh, like with Sid, like she, her inconsistency was a, a problem, which she was talking about earlier. Like, that's just who she was. She was like, let me do the, the minimal. Like, what, what do I have to do to be okay? You know what I mean? Whereas Haley was the aggressor and the, I got to overachieve. Sid was on the other end. And so for her, it was trying to help her feel like she could be successful, even if it wasn't the exact same time. Because what happens, the kids can compare themselves and we as families can compare ourselves to other people's kids. And we're like, how come their kids doing better than my kid or what? And it is there. If you compare yourself to people or you compare your kid to somebody else's kid, there are always going to be kids that are doing better and there are always going to be kids that are doing worse. So there is no benefit to having that comparison because you're going to either feel inferior or superior. (laughs) Neither one are good. And so being able to realize my kid is going to have their struggles. So like we prayed about their struggles. We prayed. I prayed. Please don't let their struggle be an addiction. Please don't let their struggle be, you know what I mean? Something that is life altering. So we prayed specifically about what sins our kids would be having because of their nature, because every kid has a sinful nature and every kid is going to struggle. So we did pray. I specifically, I prayed very specifically what I didn't want their nature to be. I knew that they were going to deal with pride or something. You know what I mean? Like I knew those things. And so I think that makes a big difference. And then also the pride of roots. Like one of our girls, Haley, had pride and selfishness and like she was rebellious. Like it was the difference between the two kids. Sid's like, I'm not going to do it unless I get permission. And he was like, I'll apologize later. Like it was just the difference between their personalities. And so being able to realize I need to know how to work with her sinful nature and be able to realize, okay, I need to figure out how I'm going to respond. Not necessarily, I can't fix them. I'm not going to fix anything. But when our kids struggle, it's like, okay, what am I going to do to pray about this, work through this, and not aggressively go after them? I don't know if Dave's got something on that one. Yeah, I think for me, I can maybe share maybe how I wouldn't do a great job on this. I think when I would see my kids wrestle with something, I went to a place of fear, right? It was, okay, Sydney has had a quiet time for two or three days, or Haley and Deb just went at it again and were yelling at each other in the kitchen, whatever, whatever it was right in the moment. And in my head, I could go from there to them falling away from God and hating God in the church in about 20 seconds in my head. And so then that fear and then that anxiety would lead me then to trying to control the situation, right? And maybe getting angry or getting all type A or whatever it was. And so I had to just talk, right? Like I had to talk to the other married men in my life and, you know, after midweek over a beer, you know, or barbecue or appetizers or whatever, and just, just share. And again, protecting the kid's dignity and being smart about the specifics and all that amazingly just sharing my stuff right and getting their perspective they knew me they knew our family and so they would either be able to say dave you just need to relax it's gonna be okay or maybe i went the other way maybe where my fear took me was i just wanted to avoid it i didn't want to deal with it i didn't want to think about it and so they said you know what dave you need to you need to dig into this one 
a little bit, right? And so, again, I think partnering with the other people in your life, partnering with the people in your kids' lives, um, but I think maybe knowing ourselves as parents, right? If we go to a place of fear, and if so, then where does that take us? Um, but to Deb's point, just like all of us, our kids are going to struggle. And it may seem in the moment like this one's really bad and it gets super scary, super discouraging, but God's got them, right? God's got a plan. And I think for us, again, maybe just avoiding extremes, maybe another thought on that, but it's tough. Mm -hmm. We don't like seeing our kids hurt for sure. Now that the, now that the girls are older and you're able to look back, so to speak, uh, how does the relationship change as they get older as disciples and as they become adults? How should it, how does it change? How did you see it change? And how did your parenting change? That's a great question. And, you know, I'd qualify all of this, right? With we're just a huge work in progress, right? I made mistakes when they were 10 and I make mistakes now that they're 26, right? Um, but I think it's about, I mean, the words that come to mind is that you go from, go from a place of like positional authority, like I'm dad and you're three years old and I'm protecting you, or I'm dad and you're 14 and I'm still protecting you to I'm dad and you're 25, but it's relational. It's not positional anymore. That yes, I'm, I will always be your dad. You'll always be my little girl, but you're married now. You have a life of your own. And so my influence should be more relational, that we reason together, that we talk, that we I draw them out, that I listen, I circle back. And it, it's less about do this and don't do that, but, you know, creating a dynamic and creating a space where they can come to you when they want advice or come to you when they want input, but not being maybe so quick to uh, give that advice, right? Um, and so again, I just think it's, and it doesn't change all of a sudden when they're 18, right? Like that evolves even when they're in the home, right? Like our parenting of Haley as an eighth grader was very different than parenting of Haley as a senior in high school. And obviously it's very different now, you know, that she's 26 and has been married for a couple of years. And so I think it's figuring out how to have the greatest influence. But again, it's more about the, the relationship than... I'm the parent and, you know, you must do what I say. And I think it was harder when they go away to college because you they, they're in your home. You see what they're doing all the time. And when they go off, then you're like, uh, now what are they going to do? And, and then they don't always make good choices. I was afraid half the time. Haley's like, yeah, it's, it's like 10 o'clock at night. She's like, hey, I thought I'd call you. I'm walking to campus. I'm like, you're in downtown Atlanta. Why are you out walking the streets alone at night? And it would drive me crazy. But so what I had to do is be able to say, okay, God, please protect her, help her to make better choices. But I didn't also want to overreact too much. Like I would give her my advice. I'm like, please don't do that. Can you have somebody walk with you? But also being able to realize if I react strongly, she is no longer going to share these things with me. And then I won't know all the dangerous situations she's putting herself in. So how I react to my adult kid, I don't want to overreact or shut them down. I want them. I want to know. I don't, I'd rather not. Sometimes I don't 
necessarily really think I want to know, but I do want to know everything that's going on in their life. And if I shut them down, judge them, come down harsh on something, they will shut me out. Their view of life is different. Kids these days, like young adults, it's different than when I was young. And so I can't even say, well, when I was, because it's different. It's not the same. So even as parents, we can't compare what we did in college to what they're doing now in college. It's different. Life is different. And so being able to realize that I have to look at them as an adult and they are going to have to make some of their own mistakes. I cannot protect them from everything, but I can give advice and especially asking, asking in advance would you be okay if I gave you some advice? And if they say no, I need to listen. Like they're not open to it right now. Me saying it is not going to help. So being able to act, ask them as an adult, would you like some input? Would you like me to help you? If they're, if they're not ready, they're not ready. Now, what are some tips for maintaining a godly focused home? That's a good one. Um I mean, the, the first thing I thought of was just healthy, consistent spiritual routines, right? And so we mentioned some of those earlier. And again, this, this applies whether the kids are in your home or even, you know, as they leave the home, but you're still connected to them. I think that there's a certain safety or security or comfort in consistency, right? Like you don't want to get into ruts, right? We don't want to get into legalistic routines or anything like that. But I think the kids growing up and even now, like they look forward to Monday night family devotionals right now in our dynamic, it's like Sunday night, they come over for dinner uh, oftentimes. And so just kind of these spiritual, familial, emotional sort of routines that they can rely on, um, I think is super helpful. Um, the other thing, and again, for those of which you know, this, this will ring true for Deb, but maybe not, might not think of this for me, it's just a ton of fun a ton of laughter. Like I think in our home with the kids were growing up, we were always laughing. There was a lot of joy. It, and again, life is hard for our kids. They're under so much pressure at school, you know, to fit in, to be popular, to be pretty, to make the right sports team, to make the great grades, to go to the right college. There is so much pressure our kids feel. And then on top of that, if they're a disciple, well, now I have to have my quiet times and I have to share my faith and I have to be different. Like there's so much that weighs on them. We just wanted our home to be, yes, a spiritual place and all that, but we just tried to make it fun. Like we wanted it to be a place that they looked forward to being. And in that, that God's a part of that, right? That you didn't have, okay, it's fun time over here. And then it's our God-focused time over here. That it was both things all the time. That, you know, we would sing in our family devotionals and we sounded so bad that we would just have to stop singing because we're laughing too hard. And that was so okay. True. Right. And then sometimes we'd have really deep conversations and other times we'd play games in our devotionals, but just trying to create a space where the kids just, they had fun. It was a break between the pressure of school that day and then the pressure of three hours of homework or the coach yelling at them at practice or whatever it might've been. And so I think the security kind of in the comfort of routines, but then just a ton of fun. And I think the other thing is 
making and getting into a habit of some traditions and allowing them to like things for them to look forward to and making incredible memories. So being able to figure out we wanted our home to be the happiest place that they wanted to be. It wasn't they like they're like, I want to go to my friend's house. It's better over there. They're not yelling. They're not, you know, so you want your home to be a haven. And so in doing that, like being able to talk regularly about how are we doing and having those kind of conversations. Hey, how are things, how are you feeling about things in the home? And being able to, at any age, being able to have those conversations, you want your kid's favorite place to be is being together as a family. I love that. So Here's where it can get a little tricky. How would you get, how would you handle discipline when it comes to your baptized teen? I mean, they're supposed to be perfect now, right? right. Um, but would you please give us some tips on how to handle discipline of, of your baptized teen? Yeah. And so maybe as, as usual, I could share some things not to do or share some mistakes I made or along the way. I think this wasn't a mistake I would I made necessarily, but one thing I would caution us against is don't do something that's going to impede their repentance, so to speak, right? So maybe they're just getting on your last nerve and you're like, fine, you're grounded for a month. And all of a sudden you're not letting them go to teen devotional on Friday night. Or if there's a sleepover with a bunch of the teen girls, you're not letting them go. And so I think that kind of a discipline is actually counterproductive. You think, well, they're having fun. They like that. Well, they need that. That's actually going to help them repent of whatever it is you want to ground them for, right? And so it may seem, of course, you would do that, but like I know families that have done that, and I get it. At a, at a moment of frustration, like I, I totally understand it, but I think figuring out something else, right? And so I think the discipline, and I guess this applies whether they're baptized or not. The discipline has to have impact. Excuse me, as a little kid. I would get grounded and they'd send me to my room. Well, I was an only child and I was an introvert and I didn't like people. So that was actually okay. I didn't mind that at all. Right. Um, now for Deb, that would have been a fate worse than death. Right. And so knowing your kid and figuring out, okay, what's going to have impact. It may be taking away the phone. It may be no video games. It may be, maybe not you're taking away something. You're adding something. You're adding chores. You're adding something that you know they don't like, but a discipline, even the Bible says, it's unpleasant at the time. That's the point. Um, and so, again, but not just unpleasant for unpleasantness sake, but something that is going to hopefully train their spirit. And then I would say, too, you know, don't discipline in anger. Don't discipline in overreacting. Right. Sometimes you just need to take a step back. Like you just heard something you're like, oh, my gosh so upset, you know, but I need to talk to my spouse. I need to pray. I may even get some input on this, but being, being thoughtful, you know, again, not doing in anger, being unified. I think following through, right. Sometimes as parents, right. We, we come up with a discipline and we institute it. And then, you know, we just, we're just fatigued or tired or we just kind of give in. Right. And so that trains our kids to know that they don't really mean it. And I'll, and I'll wait, I can wait them out and it'll be fine. And so again, 
But at the same time, like, don't set yourself up to fail. I'm going to ground you for six months. Well, that's ridiculous. That's, you know, that's, that's not sustainable for you or them, right? And so kind of coming up with something that honestly works for you too. Um, and again, reasoning, explaining, right? Not just dropping the hammer, so to speak. And again, especially as they get older, you're having more of that relational sort of discussion as opposed to positional to where, again, the goal, right? Like in Hebrews is to train our hearts, to soften our hearts. So Deb admittedly was way better at this than I am. So I should probably let her go first. No, but I think one thing that is important is to disciple and or discipline the heart behind the action. Don't just look at what they did, figure out why they did it. Because that will help you to know how it, how should I discipline this? Because they may have yelled, but why did they, you know, or threw a fit or they, but why did they do it? What did, had, had, like, did you set them up for failure? Like now they're, they were hungry. They came home from school. And now I ask them, did you clean your room? And they're like, quit asking, you know? And it's like, okay, I, I, timing wasn't like, I set them up to fail, like their reaction wasn't the heart, but it was, there was something else going on. And so taking the time to figure out those things. And I think asking the questions and helping them get there. Why do you think you just did that? Why'd you punch your brother? Okay. He took something of yours. Okay. Let's figure out what, you know what I mean? And it's figuring out what got them there and then having the consequences match the offense, not over, you know what I mean? If it was just a little thing, it's like, don't over punish them for something that really it didn't necessarily need punishment but it really did need okay you know what then why don't you help me do the dishes tonight you know it's like let's spend time together and let's talk it through and i think the other thing is realizing when our kids need discipline sometimes it's because they broke trust they lied to us and it's like okay helping them to understand you have broken trust and it is hard for me. Like, I know you want to go do this thing, but what you did when yesterday, you broke my trust and now it's going to be hard. I want to give, I want to trust you again, but you've made it really difficult for me to do that. And so helping them to realize their actions have consequences. Some of those consequences are broken trust which then takes a lot of time to regain. And so it's having these deeper conversations so they understand you're a human being that I hurt, that I lied to, I deceived. Now there's something I got to deal with afterwards. Yep. And I would just make one quick thought too, is this is just another one of those areas where inviting people into your life, right? That it takes a village. And so I would want men around me who knew my character, who knew my weaknesses, who maybe didn't know the exact situation. Again, you, there, there's wisdom there, not sharing everything, but like I wanted at least a handful of brothers that I could go to and say, okay, hypothetical situation. If daughter A did this to daughter B, what would you think? Right. And, and just, again, the, the, this whole idea of humility, I think God just blesses that, right? When we don't know what to do, when we invite other people in, I think it just gives God space to work. And so we don't have to feel like we have to figure it out on our own. Um, but just it's that village, I think, that we can, you know, partner with really be a huge benefit. Great. That's good stuff. So let me ask you another question here. What are you learning now about parenting 
baptize married children. Yeah. So we're in the middle of it, right? And so, you know, probably should have Jake and Ed here and they could answer that question for me. Um, I think giving them space, um, kind of staying in my lane a little bit. Like I've had to learn that over and over and over and over again, whether they were growing up in, in the home or when they went off to college or when they were single and now that they're married, like knowing kind of what's my role, what's my place. And again, and it's the same now, like I'm needing to get advice from other people that have gone for me that have been in this place that I am now. I think being available for them, right? Like they will, they will come to me, Deb mentioned it earlier, right? About, you know, hey, would you be open to a thought here, you know, about this situation and not just offering it? I think some of the same things, feeding them, encouraging them, loving them. I think with my, just as my daughters are very different, their marriage dynamics are very different. My two sons-in-law are very different. And so I've had a lifetime to study my girls and I'm still learning, but I think maybe I've kind of got some of that figured out. I'm just starting to understand my two sons-in-law and what encourages them and what helps them feel loved and what helps them feel secure and what helps them feel believed in by me. Like I've never been a father-in-law before, right? That's a new role for me. And so learning from others that have been in that place. And so again, it, it does feel like, you know, we're just, we're constantly learning, constantly needing to get help and get advice. Um, but it's, it, you're, you're, you're letting, I don't know if letting goes the right way, but your, your role in their lives is constantly changing. Um, and again, it becomes more about partnering and relational and walking side by side as two adults, right. And less about I'm your dad and therefore you shall listen to me sort of. And I do think it's important to realize our family is loud. Like we're loud when we're together, we're loud. And so having these two guys and they came from both of their husbands are from families of three boys. And so their mom was way outnumbered and their household was very different than our household. So when the boys come over, we're loud. And so I always have to ask, I'm like, are you guys okay? Like, I know, and we make fun of each other and we laugh a lot. And they're like, I don't know what's going on here. These people are crazy. And so realizing that they're experiencing our family, it can be a lot. And so giving them extra grace and mercy because they're coming into a dynamic where the four of us have been together for 25 years and we're we're used to each other. And so knowing that they're going to need time to it, it's awkward for them to come in and be around girls and awkwardness and loudness. And so, and different foods and the way we eat versus when, you know what I mean? And so there's a whole lot of give and take. And just, I ask a lot of questions. Are you okay if we do this? Is that okay? Is that okay? And so being able to ask a lot of questions, cause I'm like, I don't know, like, how did your mom do this? I don't know. I don't want to overdo it. You know what I mean? And so those kind of questions. And just, I think with the, the two guys, like, I just want them to feel my two sons-in-law. I want them to feel like, I just think they're the greatest thing ever. Right. Cause I think even the, I think there's gotta be, cause I remember feeling it a little bit toward Deb's dad, right? There's, there's, there's an insecurity as a young husband around his father-in-law. 
like that's a that relationship can be tough. And so I'm trying, and I don't know if I'm being successful, but I'm trying for those two guys to feel like I just think they're the greatest thing in the world, right? And if and you know that they feel secure and that they can make fun of me and poke jokes, you know, I just I want them to feel that. And so we're we're in the middle of it, you know. Hopefully we're doing okay, but I'm sure we're making mistakes as we go. But just trying to figure out, um, not too different, I suppose, than when the kids were four. I want those places to be fun. I want this to our home when they come over to be something that they look forward to, where they feel accepted and encouraged, and that they're they're the husband in that relationship. That I've given my daughter to them. Like I did it in the wedding ceremony. That was more than just figurative. That was real. And they get to make the decisions now as a married couple. If he leads the home, it's not me anymore. I've got to let them do that and not and let them feel that that's okay. Would you mind sharing with us what you look back on and wish you could have done differently? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, right? Maybe we shared a little bit along the way. I think that the two things that um, come to mind for me, at least, and Deb probably has some different ones, is... I had to do it over again. I'd let the little things go. Not everything is a capital offense, right? And if the bed was a little bit messy or they left a dish in the sink or they maybe gave me a little bit of a look when I asked them to do something, you know what? That's okay. They're 15 years old. They've got a lot going on. And I think, you know, as I've shared before, I think whether it was fear or pride or worry or whatever, I wanted things to be and so I think I made a bigger deal of certain things that I probably should have just let go. And I think the second thing that, that stands out to me, and this was more during high school, a little bit more so, a little bit so in college, but definitely during their high school years. And even before that, I suppose too, but I was way too focused on their success and their achievement, whether it was academics, right? How many AP classes they're in, what are their SAT scores? What's their GPA? What colleges are they applying to? Maybe it was on the athletic field, right? What soccer club are you in? Are you getting better and better? Are you starting? Okay. What softball club are you in? Are you going to make varsity as a freshman? Like I, I, I fell into that trap, right? Of wanting to keep up with the Joneses. I, I, I wanted, I think even at times to live vicariously through my kids and I made success and achievement way too important. And fortunately, Deb was a great balance. There were people in my life that would reel me in. I think God just kind of protected the kid's spirit. But yeah, if I had to do it over again, I would still want them to be great students, right? I'd still want them to do well in, in whatever they wanted to do from an extracurricular perspective. And yes, to go to a great school and all of that. But I know in my heart, it was way too important. And then that came out the way I parented. <clears throat> And I think uh, one of the, the, I have a couple of things, but one of them is I would not have taken their sin personally. I, when they would sin, whether it be against me or they're angry or they, whatever it is, I would take it personally and I would get offended and I would get angry or defensive. And that was not helpful. And then because of that, then I would judge. And they know they're being judged, which then makes them more likely to be defensive. And so, and I think it just was a bad cycle for me 
um, taking, so I would definitely not take things personally and just realize they're, they're an individual and they got to work this out. This isn't about me. And I I need to stop making it about me and how I'm responding or how I feel about what they're choosing to do. And so, and I think the other thing would be to try and I did not put myself in their shoes enough to think through how they felt. Why are they upset, feeling, why are they guilty? Like putting myself in their shoes and just say, okay, this is where they're at. This friend hurt their feelings. This is why they're angry about, this is why they don't want to go to this activity. This is why they don't want, like trying to figure out what they felt and what their needs were versus just forcing them to do what I thought was right and that they needed to do, but to understand why they didn't want to so that I could have helped disciple their heart or educate or teach or whatever versus just say, you just need to do it, suck it up. Not that I always said that, but that was definitely how I felt. And I'm sure that is how it came across. Suck it up and just do what's right. All right. So any other words of advice or practical tips that can help us out? I mean, just maybe one quick thing I would say is, you know, never give up. You know, I mean, whether your kids are baptized and they're doing great, or maybe they're baptized and they're struggling a little bit, or they're not there yet. All of our kids, all of us as adults, all of us are families. We have seasons that are really hard. And maybe those seasons last a couple months and you breeze right through it. Maybe those seasons last a couple of years. Um, but I would just encourage all of us as parents to never give up. God is always working. And sometimes we don't see it. One quick story. It's not teen related necessarily. I was just able to study the Bible with a guy um, and he recently got baptized. He was first met 28 years ago. And there's been a brother in his life the entire time. And so he pulled me in to leave the study just because he's too close. But this brother has been a friend to this man for almost three decades. He saw them get married. He saw them raise their kids. Their kids are now a senior in high school and graduating from college. Traveled around the world, different careers. He just was a friend to this man for 30 years. And I'm sure there were moments where he was like, what, you know, why am I still investing? Why am I still trying all along? God's working, God's working through the years. And then boom. A couple of weeks ago, he gets baptized and you see, you see God work. And I think the same thing. It happened with our kids. We invest, we invest, we love them so dearly um, to the point of just losing our minds. Sometimes we love them so much working and God's got a plan. And yeah, maybe they're going to get baptized when they're 14, maybe when they're 18, maybe when they're 25, maybe when they're 45, maybe even after we're gone as parents, but God is always working and never, ever, ever give up. The one thing that Dave didn't share in that story is that that man, his wife became a disciple 25 years ago. She has been married to this man, not interested in God yet, for 25 years. Their 
daughter at 16 became a disciple or 15 became a disciple before him. And so like God was working, but you just never know. And so the wife could have just given up and just said, it's been 20 years. It's been, you know, he's never going to make it. And so never given up on our kids and never given up on, and whether they come and they go, whatever he had studied like eight times, whatever, you know what I mean? It just wasn't his time. And so God's always working. And so the other thing I was just going to say is remember that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And that short-term, like short-term goals, like someone can do great in the short term. They're like, but their kid's doing great. And it's, you got to look long-term. Like you're investing in your kids for the long haul. Don't just do it so that they can get become Christian right now in high school. What it's you want them to last forever. So however long it takes for them to make it, to have convictions, to get it, that's what you want. You want them to have that relationship with God that they just long to be with him and that he is the one that they get their comfort from because people are going to come and go, you know, wherever they are, they may move. God will be consistent. And so realizing you want the marathon, not the sprint. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a joy (laughs) and a pleasure and uh, just truly a treasure to uh, have the wisdom and experiences and insight that you guys have shared with us. We are so, so grateful. Uh, Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. I loved hearing how you're learning still, the humility that you are sharing and saying we're still learning and also the vulnerability to be able to share the things that maybe you wish you could have done differently or that weren't always perfect, but we can have a chance to learn from. So we thank you for sharing. Thank you for uh, being here with us and being willing to let us into your family life. Thank Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Love you guys. Love you. Thanks for listening to Stronger Family, Stronger Church podcast. We hope this episode will be a blessing to your family. If you want to get connected to us or want to donate to the program, click on the link on the podcast player that you have or in the notes section. We also want to let you know we have a Facebook group of the same name, Stronger Family, Stronger Church. Check that out. A lot of great articles on there to help you in your parenting, regardless of the age, and some great material and content to share with your friends. So join us next time for our next episode of our Stronger Family, Stronger Church podcast.